Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Clippy and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I have my new friend with me, Michael Barrett. Uh, Dr. Barrett, thank you so much for coming on the Clippy and Grace podcast, sir. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Well, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and what ministry products you're working on? Well, I'm not sure there's too much exciting about my life that uh, needs to be uh, broadcast. Uh, I've been in the ministry for going on 50 years involved primarily in uh, education, although I, while I've never been the senior pastor of a church, I have been associate ministers and uh, work on that level as well. But primarily my, my career has been in uh, education, uh, seminary education, doctoral work. And so that's what I'm continuing here to do at Puritan Reform Seminary as I serve uh, right now, particularly as the academic vice president, academic dean. I teach Old Testament courses. Uh, but also try to keep the rest of my faculty under control. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been married uh, to Sandra, uh, and we just celebrated uh, a month ago our 50th uh, wedding anniversary. So that's a real joy and a real gift of God to me. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah. So that's uh, that that was a milestone for us. And uh, we we look forward to the next 50 as well. Amen. Amen. That's a, that's a big milestone. Congratulations. It really was. And the yeah. Lord is very, very gracious to us. Wonderful. Uh, we, we have two boys um, and five grandchildren, but they're scattered uh, right now. In one, of my, one of my sons is uh, in business in Columbia, South Carolina, and okay. is uh, a PCA minister in uh, Signal Mountain, Chattanooga. Uh, oh, okay. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, that's been a real blessing to see them as well. Wonderful. Uh, As far as my current uh, ministry, as I said, I'm I'm the academic dean and professor of Old Testament, Hebrew, uh, Semitic languages here at Puritan Reform Seminary. Uh, My writing project right now that I just stopped, in fact, to turn on to you, uh, I'm I'm working on an Old Testament introduction. They've asked me to do an Old Testament introduction, which is, oh, perhaps going to be my magnus opus. I don't know. It's going to be a a, a lengthy project. It's been a while since there's been a a purely conservative uh, OT introduction. Uh, So we'll see how it goes. But that's where my interest is and my work is right now. Wonderful. Wonderful. Look forward to to reading that when it comes out for sure. Well, brother, uh, can you tell me about this book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness? You wrote with Dr. B. Key, why you both wrote it, and how you hope it'll be received. Uh, Yeah, this book was generated by a conference that we both did some time ago, a few years ago, uh, dealing with the theme of holiness. And I I, I read a paper, I think it was from Leviticus, and after that presentation— Dr. Beakey says, you know, we ought to write a book together on this. And I says, well, that, that would be good. So we got at it. We outlined basic uh, a basic structure for it, uh, divided up. I'm, I'm the biblical exegete and theologian. He's the church history man and uh, Puritan man. So we divided it up nicely along those two uh, broad categories. Uh, and if you know Dr. Beakey, he's a very uh, multi-tasking man. So he had various projects 
uh, that were going on at the same time. Uh, I, I tend to work on one thing at a time. So I had mine done two years before he got his finished, if, <laughs> if that says anything. Yes. Uh, but uh, our, our desire was to not only deal with this very important theme of sanctification and holiness, but in, in my ministry over the years, I've really seen two uh, two issues in, in regard to how believers are, are looking at holiness. On the one hand, you have those that become very legalistic, and they just want to tick off a list of do's and don'ts. Christians do this, Christians don't do that. As long as I tick off the proper list, uh, then that's that's my holiness. And there's no joy there, and uh, they miss out on, on the beauty of seeing how holiness really comes out of our relationship with Christ. Hmm. Uh, and then on the other hand, uh, and I see it particularly here in Grand Rapids, where there is a great hyper-Calvinistic uh, context, that many are viewing holiness, striving for holiness, almost as a prerequisite to grace, uh, that they have to get themselves in a certain position before that they would be worthy of grace, right? And yes, completely misunderstanding the whole concept. So those two basic problems were, I think, what we're trying to address and uh, mm. Hopefully, it'll it'll have some effect upon both of those both of those schools thought. Yeah, yeah. You said that really that that was such an important point. Can you can you elaborate on that and and how does that affect our approach to the Christian life? Uh, what, what specifically? I'm sorry. I mean the legalistic approach versus the you know the hyper grace approach. Yeah, I mean I I think that you in my career you know I, I was I was born and raised in in fundamentalism uh, and I, I saw it there uh, growing up. All right, my parents told me what to do, my church told me what to do, uh, and I, I I did it right. And you make the assumption because of that uh, that this is all that God requires, but it became a it became drudgery. Uh, became mm. drudgery, and there was no joy uh, in, in that kind of Christian uh, Christian living. And yes. I pursued and just started, you know, working on the ministry and being called the ministry. And really, I think the whole concept of what it is to be justified mm. uh, in, in Christ uh, revolutionized my thinking and my, my approach here. So, so some of that legalistic aspect is really coming out of my own background. Uh, and uh, trying to deal with folks from that perspective. The hyper-Calvinistic aspect of it is something that I've seen more since I've been in Grand Rapids. Uh, I've been in this ministry now for, uh, I'm in my 10th year, and I've always, I must say I've always hated uh, hyper-Calvinism in theory, but being in Grand Rapids, I've seen some of it in reality, and I hate it worse. Mm. Uh, in both instances, people are in bondage. On the one hand, the bondage of just keeping a list. On the other hand, a bondage of trying to somehow put yourself in a position that you can deserve God's grace. And it's it's just a very, very sad situation. Yeah. I think I think one thing, and I agree with that, I think one thing that it does is that, that also both approaches um, ultimately end up um, – leading to people questioning their assurance. Oh, exactly. Uh, you yeah. know, and, and then, and I get a lot of emails about this, like a lot of emails and I'm just like, wait, let's, let's, let's work through this. Let's, let's talk about this. And then as we talk about it, they're like, Oh, that's, that's where I'm at. You know, that's why God, God feels far from me. Like you just said so well, it, it sucks the joy the the air out of the room. If you will, I have no joy because I'm going about it as a drudgery, not a delight. Right. Um, and, and so I think what you said is so really important. 
And I, and I think you have two extremes there. On the one hand, you have, I think, some that like to tick off the tick off the the boxes that they can convince themselves of a presumptuous assurance. You know, I, I, here's what I've been told. This is what Christians do. I've been told this is what Christians don't do. That's what I do. That's what I don't do. So I must be a Christian. Uh, and they, they look at uh, the whole gospel from th- their performance rather than uh, to Christ. Yes, yes. You know, we're, we're talking, uh, how do the means of grace help Christians to grow in the in in holiness? Well, you know, I, I think certainly... Uh, that that's the key, and depending on how we and what we include in the means of grace here as well. But certainly, uh, scripture and prayer are essential means by which the Lord is going to uh, communicate uh, His Word to us. I, I don't know what holiness is uh, unless I know what God is like. I don't know what holiness is unless I know what God requires, and that's not the figment of our imagination. Uh, we learn that from the uh, from the scripture. Uh, as a believer, there ought to be in the heart that desire to do those things that are pleasing unto the Lord. Mm. And, and God doesn't leave us guessing mm. as to what it is that pleases Him. You know, I, I use this illustration. You know, some in in, in uh, my my family life, I said I had two two sons, and I believe my sons loved me. I believe my sons uh, respected me uh, growing up, and I think they wanted to please me. But I do want my kids waking up every day saying, you know, you know I, I, I want to please dad, but you never know what the guy wants. Mm. So I made it clear to my boys what it is I wanted. We call it in my home, we called it Barrett Law. Mm-hmm. And uh, so long as you guys live within this sphere of Barrett Law, I'll be pleased. All right. Mm. Well, it's the same thing with God. We have a desire to please him and God doesn't leave us guessing as to what it is and how it is that we can please him. He gives us his word. He gives us his law. And here are the parameters uh, of, uh, of what a Christian life ought to be and what holiness looks like. So certainly we use the scripture and we and prayer becomes a means, obviously, of expressing our dependence upon God. And uh, we, we grow we grow thereby. Um, and it, I, I don't think there's going to be any growth in holiness until those aspects of the means of grace are employed. But I think the sacraments also. I'm Reformed. I'm Presbyterian. Uh, background here, and uh, I believe that the sacraments are means of grace as well, as we reflect upon our baptism, uh, a one-time operation, but yet we reflect upon that. We're to remember that covenant relationship, and certainly then the Lord's Supper uh, is a visible means and a visible help that the Lord has given to us to reflect upon Him, to reflect upon the gospel, our relationship with Him, and to aid uh, not only our worship, but also our faith and our growing, hopefully, in grace. So, uh, yeah, we must employ it, but yeah, there, there's no hope certainly without uh, without being saturated is it, uh, in God's Word uh, that defines what holiness is. Holiness is not something abstract, uh, and too often we tend to just define it in terms of cultural aspects. You know, and uh, I lived in South Carolina for 40 years before coming up here to minister, and it's interesting that something that is sin, Carolina is not sin up here, and something that is sin up here wasn't sin in Carolina. <laughs> Because it's cultural, right? They look at cultural things instead of focusing the attention upon God's word, and that's where it has to be founded. Yes, yes, that's really good. How should Christians handle distractions in their lives? You know, I, I suppose. What, what do you mean by distractions? There are some distractions that are lawful, some that aren't. I guess, uh, and there, there's a sense in which, if I understanding what distra- you mean by distractions, some are, are yeah. good. They, they are healthy, and I, I like to hunt. All right. Yes. Uh, 
Yes, I, you're tracking. I, I, so, yeah. so is hunting a distraction? Uh, hopefully, it doesn't take me away. I don't. I don't idolize it. I don't worship it. Uh, yes. But it is that which enables you to isolate, to get alone for a while, and to meditate upon certain things. And you know, uh, so it is if if that's what you're talking about, you know, I, I think yes. are are okay. Yes, uh, is Obviously, so, yeah. so long as they don't dominate. Uh, yeah, it's it's a time to rejuvenate and a time to uh, meditate and a time to uh, relax. Others like to play golf. I mean, golf would not relax me at all. Uh, <laughs> But um, yeah, in, in and of themselves, they're they're not unhealthy. I don't think. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You know, yeah, as long as it doesn't take us away. Like, say we, uh, you're definitely tracking with that. But I'll say like somebody's, you know, watching uh, golf or whatever, uh, going hunting on Sunday instead of you know going to church. Then we're then we got a problem. You know, that, got that's a problem. Where, yeah. Right. Then then we got a problem. Yeah. We got a violation of the Sabbath and Isaiah 58 and that that. Opens up a whole new course of uh, discussion, I suppose. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's good. Well, with the with the rise of social media and even the internet, even at the grocery store, you know, lust is it's right in our face. How how should Christians handle temptation and lust? You know, on social media, the internet, and at the grocery store, just in general. You know, you don't have to talk about social media. Yeah, that's but... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if people listening can see me, but they can tell I'm an old coot, right? Uh... And, I didn't uh, say that. Okay, <laughs> I I do not look at social media stuff. I I, I don't have a Facebook. I, I I don't do anything there. I, I know that's a big thing. And thankfully, I have a wife that means I I don't have to go to the grocery store even. Uh, <laughs> well, nice. Are, You're blessed. I, You're extra blessed. Then you have social media, and you don't have the don't have to go to the grocery store. God bless you. You're I'm winning born, in life. <laughs> I, I I do know a lot. Yes, uh, and it is all around us, and it's not just through these to these venues. And you know, I think a couple of things are important here as we as we really walk through life. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm reminded early in this context of uh, all of the laws of cleanness and uncleanness that uh, the Lord gave to His people in the Old Testament context. They were object lessons. They were object lessons. Yeah. Right to be clean was to be in fellowship with God. To be an unclean was to be out of fellowship with God and ostracized from the community and what have you. Uh, but there were so many things that were unclean. You know, here's here's a catfish that's unclean because it doesn't have scales. Here's this kind of a bird. There's that. All these things, but it gave you the the idea, right, that you can't walk in this world without being contaminated with the unclean. It's all there. But for every unclean, there was a sacrifice again to make you clean always a way out. And I, I think in some ways, that's what walking through the world is. That's why we have to walk circumspectly. That's why we have to be aware uh, of all of those things in the world that are enemies of grace. They're enemies of the gospel. They're enemies to our soul that are uh, going to uh, combine in all of their forces to uh, to bring us down. So I, I think the bottom line is, first of all, to be aware that we're walking in the world. And to walk in the fear of God, uh, to walk in the fear of God, to fear the Lord. There's a corollary that's always made. You fear the Lord, you keep his commandments. But the idea of fearing God, while it involves my reverence for God, my worship for God, for sure, but it also involves my ethics, how I behave in this world. Yes. And without getting to all of the details, I would simply define the fear of God as, as walking and living in the reality of God. 
to know what it is to factor God in to every circumstance, to every situation. And so when I realize then that when I come to these temptations, uh, they are there. But to succumb to that temptation, I have to realize is in the I'm sinning in the very face of God, mm. the very presence of God. Yes. Uh, and if we can learn to live, to factor God into all of the issues of life, to factor God into all the circumstances, consciously and willfully, that, that ought to it ought to help us. Joe was a man that feared God, and he turned from evil. Yes. Right? I think if that's how we have to walk through the supermarket, then <laughs> yeah. do it. Yeah. 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 That that is so good because, you know, I mean, it's probably the number one issue in my email box most days, um, almost every day is is this issue. And people don't understand that that what you just said is so vital because what it, it what it communicates is, hey, when you're in the bathroom, when you're in that quiet place, when you're in that dark place or whatever, doing whatever you're doing with your smartphone and your tablet or or even your laptop or whatever, God is in that place. He, he he's not absent from that place. He's exactly. everywhere. And like you said, he's, uh, if you fear him, like Job said, made a covenant with my eyes, that I might not sin against you. Um, you know, if we would have a right fear of God, uh, we wouldn't even, we wouldn't flirt with that and, and even, um, have any, any inclination to go there. You know, unfortunately we sin, but I, I don't know that we can, can we sin if, if, if that moment we are, Realizing that we're in God's presence and that we're uh, in, in, any in, any sin would be, I say, a, a smack in His face, as it were, and right in His face. So I think that's going to be a helpful corrective, anyway. Yes, absolutely. Well, here's a big question, um, another one I get a lot. What it, what exactly is the perseverance of the saints, and how does it differ from the idea of once saved, always saved? Well, I, I think the you know, in, in one sense, let's face it, one saved, always saved is true. But I think those that would uh, use that tend to limit a, a, and to define faith to a historic act, right? And this has implications in regard to assurance and everything else. But I, I, I have known, you know, so many over the years that use that particular expression uh, that they can they can live like the devil, all right? They can live like yes. the devil. Uh, and not have any heart for God, not have any desire for God, not use any means of grace. But, oh, yeah, I made a decision when I was, you know, two years old, uh, once saved, always saved. And, you know, we'll, uh, I'll die and wake up in heaven. Uh, well, that's a perversion. All right. That's a perversion. Certainly we are kept by God. We are kept by God in the faith. But the perseverance is, is to live in the reality of that faith. And saving faith never reneges upon Upon its object, we have to focus upon the object of that faith, which is the Lord Jesus, uh, and it's the object that gives value to that faith. But uh, you, you don't lose sight of that. There's weak faith for sure. There's wavering faith for sure. There's backsliding faith for sure. But true faith never reneges upon upon Jesus. I, I love the way John puts it there uh, in, in in the first chapter regarding you know those that. Uh, have received Christ to as many as received him. Uh, all right, there's an aorist tense in Greek. All right, so receiving Christ is a one-off operation. But those that receive Christ then are defined as those that are believing constantly in his name. So the evidence of a historic faith is a present faith. And that's where the perseverance comes. And we, 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 we are you presently believing in, in the gospel? It's not just something that is a past thing that gives you some kind of a, uh, a secret key to heaven. So I, I think that's the, that's the idea. 
you know, we're kept by God. So yeah, one saved, always saved. I, that's true enough. But as I say, there is the the exercise of that. Saving faith is going to look like something in life, and saving faith never stops. Can be weak at times, can waver at times, can doubt at times. So why the confession makes it clear that the assurance of faith is not of the essence of saving faith, uh, but it's where we want to strive for. Certainly, we want to experience that assurance as well. Yeah, it's good. We have a sure anchor and, and a steady anchor in Christ. But because of that, we shouldn't live you know, however we want to live, right? That's that's Romans no, 6.1. No, that's that's yeah. incongruous to to that desire to please to please the Lord. If we focus upon what Christ has done uh, and, and giving us victory over sin, uh, how, how can we live with a view to ourselves? This is what Paul argues in 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ constrains me. The fact that we judge this, that he died for all, then how can we, for whom he died, live unto ourselves? Um, there is that desire to please him. And that takes us again to the whole pursuit, uh, to the whole pursuit of holiness. Really good, really good. How should Christians handle affliction in a Christ-centered way? Well, I think we have to understand that affliction is is part of the providential operations of God. And you look at Ecclesiastes comes to mind here, chapter three, the time and place for everything, a time for this, time for that, time for this. There's a time for weeping and a time for laughing, and. It is trust in the providence of God that when these hard providences come, when the hard afflictions come, if you will, uh, that we respond in the way that God expects us to respond. It is not ungodly in affliction to weep, right? Uh, God has set weeping times. And if I laugh during weeping times, I'm... I'm missing the point of God's uh, of God's providential dealings. So we want to have that confidence and that trust that even though I may not understand why things are the way they are, that God ha- my times are in God's hands. Mm. And if I truly believe that, there's no better time, there's no better place for me to be than in God's hands. Uh, who likes hard providences? Nobody likes hard providences. Mm. But I can look at my relatively short life here, and you can look at your relatively shorter shorter life. <laughs> and yes. Uh, you know, I, I look at what, when, I, when have I been closest to God? When have I felt the nearness of God most? It's going to be in times of in times of grief, in times of affliction. Yeah. Uh, there, there's more to uh, there, there's more to learn from the house of mourning. The preacher says than the house of laughter. So we we we, we take it. We we don't enjoy it. I'm not saying we enjoy it. Who does? Uh, but there are lessons to learn, not only for ourselves but for others uh, as well. When we when we see the tragedies um, and how we respond to that in faith and confidence uh, in the Lord's good hand, but yet at the same time, uh, if it's a weeping time, weep. I I've known those in the past that tragedy is coming to life, and you know they they feel that if 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 they mourn, that's going to be a sign of distrust. No, God has established weeping times, and we must weep. I mean, uh, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Well, there, there you go. <laughs> I mean, and we but, just uh, had, we just had a, a, a terrible tragedy here in uh, the Grand Rapids Church. One of our young people, eighteen years old, um, graduated high school five weeks ago, and uh, was in a, a tragic accident and was killed. Mm. Uh, and it brought the church community together. But you know, and the young people are seeing this. But uh, you know, there's a tragedy. The is very grieving thing, but the lessons that have already been learned from that are, are are profound, and we trust that the Lord would still use it. But it's a weeping time, and the tears that were shed and are being shed are not evidences of rebellion against God, 
No. Uh, but rather a trust in him. Yeah. You know, um, that's that's so tragic. Uh, in some ways, you know, it kind of brings me to this is, you know, sometimes, you know, we have those situations that are sudden and then we have those situations that they're slow, painful, uh, letting go of somebody that we love. And in my life, I have two parents that have memory issues. My my father's uh, had dementia for about eight years. My mom has had Alzheimer's for probably about a year or so, maybe a little longer. And that's a slow, steady, painful yeah. death. Um, <laughs> a death for, for me because it's like one day my dad's doing really well. And another day my mom's doing really bad. And, and very rarely now they're both doing well. And yeah. it's like up and down, up and down. And what I have to realize is, is God is sovereign. He's he's even using this for for my good. Um, and just just recognizing that I don't always remember that, but just recognizing that it, it what it does is life is hard and it's and it's painful, right? And but God uses that pain in our lives for for our good um, to help us grow to be like Christ. And you know, we live in a sinful world. And it's, it's not going to get any, it's not going to get any better. Well, no. Um, and, and so we can trust God and God, my point is God isn't distant in the midst of that. Like you said, he's actually near. And I'm only using that as an, as an example to show what, what you're talking about, because a lot of people think that God is so distant. He's disconcerned with me. And it's like, actually, he's, he's concerned about you. He, he, he longs to, you know, the Psalms continually talk about how he'll carry us through and um, he he's our rock and our fortress and our helper and, and all of those things. So, you know, it's certainly true for me in, in the midst of all of these things. So the hard things are, are part of life. I have an expression that I use sometimes people think I'm pessimistic and whatever, but you know, it's uh, make, make the statement that life's like a dirt sandwich and every day you take a bite, you know, but that just, but, but what I mean by that is, you know, the, we live, as you say, in a sin-cursed world, and we're faced with that uh, day by day. How, how do we walk in, in that curse? Um, and again, it's by looking away. It's looking to the curse reverser. Amen. Amen. How should Christians respond to the higher life view of sanctification? Well, again, I think a, a failure to, as I understand it, a failure to see the progressiveness of sanctification and, and what happens you know, to us in sanctification. You know, many will see you know, the higher life, I see the higher life as those that, you know, let go, let God. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about here? Yes. Yes. Let, let go, let go, let God. Uh, and, and sanctification becomes somewhat of a, a divine zap, right? That God zaps me and now I'm as holy as we're ever going to be. And it defines, in, in, in some ways it defines sin away, uh, but yet it's, it's not realistic. And it certainly defies what happens, I think, in the in the in the work of regeneration. Uh, in regeneration, we have the life principle implanted within our hearts. This is why in, it's one of the key differences, I guess, we want to argue between uh, justification and sanctification. Sanctification is an act of God's free grace. Justification is a work of God's free grace. Mm. Uh, in, in justification, it's a work outside of myself. And that statement certainly would be true for that. In, in my justification, sure, I would say, let go, let God. Uh, as outside of myself, there's no moral change. But in sanctification, there is a moral change that takes place inside. There's a life principle that uh, begins to work 
the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right, defines sanctification as that work of God's free grace, whereby we're renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin, to live under righteousness. And I think those in the Keswick or the what you're calling the high life thing, um, you don't don't see the the, the progressiveness of that, um, and they think they've arrived. And yeah, sanctif- sanctification. You know, here's the let go, let God idea. And I think there's a chapter in the book where I address this in in the using the analogy of the of the conquest, uh, possessing our possessions. I think is is the title of that particular chapter. Uh, but I'm using the conquest, and I think the conquest is given to us here, pictured for us, as really a wonderful picture of sanctification. God promised, I'm going to drive out these Canaanites. I will fight the battle for you. I will drive them out. But in the very next line, he says, now you get in there and drive them out, you see. Mm-hmm. God does it. The victory is his. But now we have to act in the light of that victory. Mm-hmm. And we just, if the Israelites went into the land saying, well, God gave us the land, I guarantee you the Canaanites would not say, well, give me time to pack and I'll get out of here. Uh, they were going to fight. There was a battle, but it was a battle that was guaranteed uh, victory because God, I'm going to drive them out, God says, There's, I'll, I'll take care of it. But now you get in there and uh, and fight them. And I, I think the higher life misses that that cooperation. Sanctification is a, is a cooperation. And justification is God only. We receive it by faith. But in sanctification, there's a cooperation between what God does and how we respond to what God does by our doing. Amen. That's really good. Really, really good. Really good. Well, you know, there's a lot that we could really talk about about this topic, Michael. And just as we wrap up, can you give us a few takeaways, sir? Well, you know, I, I, I would just, you know, emphasize primarily if we can each one learn what it is to live in the fear of God. To me, that is, in many ways, the bottom line is going to answer so many of our questions, so many of our issues. Uh, in, in, in times of temptation, you fear God, you, you you groove the brain. You know, Paul says, whatsoever things are pure, and you, you groove the brain. I don't, I don't know how thinking works, but if you think about something long enough, it, you can't help but thinking about it. And, you know, what, what do you think about when you're not thinking? Mm. What, what do you think about when you're not thinking? Well, hopefully we can come to that place, or if, if we're thinking, if, we, if we're grooving our minds with Christ, then that's what we're going to think about what we're not thinking, if that makes any yes. sense. Yes, yes. What we... What, you live in the fear of God. Fact, if we can factor God into all the issues of life, it's going to solve a lot of our problems. Yes. And then look, look to the, look to the Lord Jesus. He's given us the victory, and, and sanctification. All of this flows out. It flows out of, of of the work of redemption. And you can isolate that from, you know, the gospel is. I, I, one of the books I wrote some time ago is called "Complete in Him," where. You know, we're, we're developing all of these components of what happens in the gospel, and they're all inseparably linked. Uh, and our completeness is in Christ, from our justification right up to our glorification and, and assurance. So you get to the gospel to live in the reality of the gospel. That's yeah. If we could, if I could do that. Amen. That's really good, brother. Well, we I've really enjoyed talking to you today, Michael. Thank you so much for your time. And this great resource, uh, a radical comprehensive call to Holiness that you've written with Dr. Beakey. Uh, God bless you. You've you've done a great service of the church, and you've done a great job in this conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me, and trust the book will be a blessing. Amen.
Thank you for listening to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.